uh, we want to read, uh, first of all, from John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Uh, page 1072 in the Church Bible. And we're reading here from, uh, chapter, from verse 14. <clears throat> and here is Jesus in Jerusalem. A Jerusalem which we'll see tonight in that day and in that setting was described as the city of God. And yet in the midst of that city uh, where there was um, a river, uh, Jesus comes and now declares that he is the river whose streams make glad the city of God. So John chapter 7 and verse 14. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honour for himself. But he who works for the honour of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you uh, keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? Your demon possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you are all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly. And they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because this time, sorry, his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, 
Will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time. And then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams or waters of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Amen. We turn back now to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Page 570. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty 
is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. This is the second Lord's Day evening in the month. And so we're looking at the text from the calendar for the month of February. And the text is, I must say it struck me at first, as a rather unusual text uh, on a calendar uh, which um, I, or which we use in any case, as a calendar uh, to make known basic truths, particularly and especially the truth uh, of salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, It's uh, Psalm 46, verse 5. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. But I hope that by the end of our time together this evening, you will realize that this is actually a text which does bring us to the very heart of our salvation. Um, In whom it tells us, directs us, uh, to whom uh, are, um, we find salvation uh, and also where this salvation is found. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Our text speaks on the one hand of a river and on the other hand of a city. And of course, uh, when we stop to think about it, the concept of a river and a city is not that unusual to us. It is a feature of many of our major towns and cities that they are located on rivers. Belfast on the Lagan, Derry, Longderry, whichever you want to call it, on the Foyle. London on the Thames, Dublin on the Liffey, and so on. The idea of a city and a river is a common one. And here in our text, the river and the city, or a river and the city, are linked together. And we want to ask tonight, what are we to learn from each of These concepts, each of these uh, entities, the river and the city, uh, and what should we learn from the two joined together? Our theme this evening is discovering joy. Discovering joy. And of course there are many people in our land tonight and they discover joy or they seek joy, uh, they look for joy. On the river. They go fishing, or they go boating on the rivers, uh, or they go water skiing on the rivers, and they're seeking to find joy in the river. And there are many, many more people tonight uh, around us and in our land who are seeking joy in the city. They wouldn't live anywhere else but in the city. Because there is a buzz about the city. They believe there is a fullness and a richness of life about the city. They like the nightlife. Or they like the social life. 
They like perhaps the music, the theatre that goes with the city. Or in some cases, it simply is, they like living amongst a lot of other people. But tonight we're going to see that you don't discover joy in the river. You don't discover joy in the city. But you discover joy whenever the river and the city come together. And as they come together in our text. Let's think then first of all this evening about the river that gives joy. The river that gives joy. What is a river? That's a a question that our children may have to ask or to answer in a geography class. And of course, a river is a body of inland water. It flows through a stretch of land, a, a tract of land, and it waters the land. It sustains life. It enables vegetation, particularly grass to grow, trees to grow, and so from that grass and from those trees, then animals are able to feed, and then from those animals and from the grass and the crops, we get food for man. And it's it's a source that sustains the life, sustains life. We perhaps don't grasp that as much here in our context because we have lots of water, as you hear outside tonight, that comes down from above. But transport yourself to Africa or to South America or to India or some of those great dry continents, those arid places, and the great rivers, the Amazon, the Nile, the Ganges, those rivers are really strategic and important sources of life. Uh, And of course, uh, in um, the context of the scripture, the river Jordan was a major source of life. Uh, And the Sea of Galilee, uh, uh, that was uh, part of it. Uh, And so, the land was fertile around it, and people could fish as we know from the ministry of Christ, on the Sea of Galilee. So, a source of life. And in that sense, it could be said of the literal rivers that make up such places, that they are rivers whose streams make glad. People are glad of rivers. Rivers are important. And their tributaries running out into the land are important. Because people have water to drink and they're able to um, grow crops and livestock has water to drink. And so there is a, a human level on which a river makes glad. But that's not what our text has in mind tonight. Our text is not thinking of a literal river. In the Bible, uh, the river has Uh, as particular significance. And we meet a river right at the very, very beginning of the Bible. If you'll turn back to Genesis chapter 2, and there, what do we read? 
We're in the Garden of Eden, this perfect environment. There is no rain coming down from heaven at this stage. Uh, but this garden, if it is going to continue in the beautiful state in which God has created it, if it's going to provide food for man and beast that lives there, it needs water. And so we're told in verse 8 of chapter 2, um, sorry, verse 10, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four uh, headwaters. The name of the first is Pashon. It winds through the entire land of Avila, where there is gold. And then it goes on, verse 13, the name of the second river is the Gion. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Those rivers, wherever the Garden of Eden was located, in the Middle East at that time, those rivers were essential to the well-being of the garden and of the fertility of the um, region outside of the garden that man was to bring under his dominion for God. So the river uh, symbolizes the sustaining of life and the vitality of the garden. But then if we go to the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22. And here now. Uh, we have a picture. Or we have a description rather. Of heaven. Then the angel showed me. Page 1250. Then the angel showed me. The river of the water of life. As clear as crystal. Flowing from the throne of God. And of the Lamb. And so that helps us to understand tonight. What is being um, referred to here. What is being pointed to here. As our text says. There is a river. Whose streams make glad the city of God. It's pointing us of course. Uh, to, uh, to God himself. We read there in John chapter 7 where Jesus spoke of the rivers of living waters that flow out of a person whenever they're saved and we're told that the reference there is to the Holy Spirit. So the river here in Psalm 46 the river in Revelation 22 the river in John chapter 7 and in other places in scripture is God. It's a reference to God himself. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He is the source of, he is the secret to life. Yes, our physical life. But more importantly now, because of our fall and sin in Adam, he is the source of spiritual life, of eternal life. An old commentator on the book of Psalms by the name of Alexander McCann sums it up beautifully when he's saying, when he, when he um, comments on the river, he says, God himself in the outflow and self-communication 
of his own grace to the soul. That's what the river is. God himself, in the outflow, in the self-communication of his grace to souls that are thirsty and that are odd and that need this grace if they are to be fruitful, if they are to be living, if they are to be vital. And so we're reminded here that the soul of man, because of the fall in Adam and our sin in Adam, it's arid, it's dry, it's thirsty, it's longing for satisfaction. Deep down inside every human being, there is this desire for satisfaction. And people look for it in all kinds of wrong places and wrong things. The businessman is good at making money. And he thinks if I just had a thousand pounds more, I'd be happy. I'd be fulfilled. And he gets his thousand pounds more. And he's still not. No, just another thousand. And you see, it doesn't matter how many thousands of thousands he gets. He'll not be satisfied. Because he's trying to satisfy a spiritual need with material things. And that's the great tragedy of our day and generation. People are seeking to satisfy this spiritual thirst and hunger of the soul which is for God Almighty in His grace and self-communication. And they're seeking it. The things that we touch and taste and the things that Yes, they give momentary satisfaction, but immediately we've taken them into ourselves. We feel that emptiness still there. And so, there is a river. And that river is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three persons, one God. And the salvation that he has richly provided in the sending forth of the Christ, his Son. To seek and to save the lost. And that's the river from which men and women and boys and girls need to drink. And by God's grace, many of us, if not all of us here tonight... We have drunk from that river and nothing else equates it. Give us all the money in the world and we say, no, thank you. We want this. Give us all that, all the, the pleasure that the world can offer and we'll say, no, thank you. What I have in the river that is God is greater and deeper and more satisfying and more enduring. But look at this lovely little phrase then that is spoken of this river. The river whose streams. Whose streams. What a beautiful picture. You see a river has tributaries. And the tributaries run out. And they reach out to people. Here and there and yonder. 
And these streams, so these tributaries, they bring refreshment as they go out from the main river into this part of the land. And then out again into another part of the land. Again, this old commentator writes, the streams were off. He says, the broad river is broken down, broken up into canals that they lead into every man's little bit of garden ground. Now here's the point. Grasp it. This vast river that is God. It comes then in tributaries, little canals, little channels, and each one directly to your life and to my life. That's how he communicates his grace. Out of this vast river of his salvation, he establishes a tributary that is directly connected to your life so that his grace flows continually into your life. You're not some kind of a tortuous chain where you're way at the end of the line. You know what happens when you're sometimes at the end of the line of the water supply? You turn on the top and it's very, very faint. Oh, the people a mile up the road, they've got a brilliant supply. Uh, but here you are. That's not what it is with God. There is a tributary. There are streams. And so there are thousands, millions of millions of tributaries. So that every believer, every person that God the Father saves in God the Son and indwells by God the Holy Spirit, they're connected to the river, to God himself. Is that not marvellous? Does that not make you rejoice? Whatever your circumstances are tonight, whatever your challenges, whatever your burdens, you're a Christian. You're connected to the river. And there's a tributary of grace that flows from the river into your life and it's flowing continually. And the only thing that affects that, the flow of that river, is this. And remember, tributaries can become silted up. And sometimes a river has to be dredged. Because sometimes it gets to the point that it's so silted up that there's only a little trickle of water that can get through. The tributary of God's grace into your life and mine. The only thing that silts it up is our sin. Our sin. When we allow sin to build up day after day, week after week in our lives, and we don't confess it, and we don't forsake it, sins of omission, sins of where we leave things undone that we ought to be doing, our walk with Christ, prayer, fellowship with God's people, when we neglect those things, what are we doing? We're silting up the tributary. Those sins of commission, doing the things that we ought not to do, those things that are covered in the commandments, you shall not, when we break the Lord's day, What are we doing? We're silting up the tributary of grace. When we covet, when we steal, 
when we think wrong thoughts of others, when we lust, what are we doing? We're silting up the tributary. And so there has to be a dredging again by God's grace. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. There is a river. God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit in his communication of his grace by the streams into your life and mine. And what does it do? It makes glad. I hope you're glad to be a Christian. You can't be a Christian and not be glad. It makes us glad. And we rejoice in him. And we rejoice in life. Even though it has many challenges and many difficulties, we rejoice because he is with us. There is a river whose streams make glad. Tonight, is there a tributary of that river that has been established directly into your life? That every day the wells of the Holy Spirit of God are bubbling up within you. And every day you're receiving grace and strength to live for Christ and to trust in Him. This psalm, with time to expound the wider psalm, we'll see there's many difficulties here. There's, a very, there's an ever-present trouble that psalmist talks about. And there's fear and there's difficulties on every side. And there's lots of noise and there's lots of distraction and disturbance. Lots of danger. Lots of threats. Read verses 1 to 3 when you go home. Maybe it's your life. And then read verse 4. There is a river whose streams make blood. The city of our God. So let's come then secondly to the city. What is the city? The city of our God. Well, of course, in the Old Testament, it was Jerusalem. When David became king of Israel in 1012 BC, and after that, at some point, he made Jerusalem the capital city. And here was the place where God would be found. Where God's grace and where this river would flow out into people's lives. The place where he was worshipped. The place where he would be served and loved and honoured. And three times a year, every male Jew went up to this city. Because there is the river whose streams make glad. There, my God, is to be found. There he is to be known. There he is to be worshipped above all other places. And then, in the rest of the year, the other 363 days of the year, if you want to put it like that, every day, the Jew looked to Jerusalem. And he remembered Jerusalem. And that's why the Jews, when they were in captivity in Babylon, they couldn't forget Jerusalem. 
because it is where the city, it is where the river is, the river whose streams make lads, where God at that time um, was making himself known. And in that day, if you wanted to know God, you went to Jerusalem. And that's why the Queen of Sheba came to Jerusalem to meet Solomon. She wanted to learn of his God. And she wanted to learn of this river of blessing that had flown into this man's life from God. That's why the Ethiopian in the New Testament, he's from North Africa. And he goes up to Jerusalem. Because at that time, that is where the river of God could be accessed. That's where the tributaries, as it were, were established and refreshed and renewed and uh, filled up through the worship and the sacrifices and the ministry of the priests in the Old Testament. Well, what does that say to us? Do we have to go to Jerusalem if we want to discover and find the river and to have the river, that connection, that tributary of, from God into our lives of his grace? No, of course, we don't have to go to Jerusalem. The city of God today is the church. It's the church. It's the people who know God, who worship God, with Christ at the centre, Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, at the heart of the church today is not the offering of many sacrifices as happened in Jerusalem. At the heart of the church today is not a line of many priests. The heart of the city today is one sacrifice. And is one priest. Jesus. And the sacrifice he made. At Calvary. Once and for all. Ending all sacrifice. And so. The city of God. Is the church. There is a river. Whose streams make mad. Yes, the earthly Jerusalem in the Old Testament. The literal city. But now, the river whose streams make glad. The city of God is the church. Discovering joy. We discover joy in the river. In God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the person in whom we discover it. And where do we discover it? We define, we discover it in His church. This salvation, we discover God in His church. May I ask you tonight as we close, do you know joy? Do you know joy? There's a little chorus that children sing sometimes and 
while it's not inspired of God. There's truth in it. I have joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Have you drunk of the river of life? If you haven't, or if you have, and the tributaries have become silted up, so there's only a little trickle coming into your, into your being now, where should you go to find this river? You go to the city of God. And that's why it's important that you and I as believers, every Lord's Day, we are in the city of God. Because his grace flows to us from himself the river as we gather in the city. There can't be joy without the river and the city being brought together and staying together and being held together. And that's why it's important that we bring the non-Christian into worship. And we invite them to come to church. And we are praying for non-Christians to come to church. And it should be our daily prayer. Lord, bring non-Christians. Bring those that we have contact with. Those that I speak to. Those that I live among. Bring them into the city of God. Bring them to church. Because that is where the river flows. Whose streams make glad. May we, may you, may I, may all of us leave tonight the city of God and go back into the world knowing that today we've been gladdened again by the river whose streams flow continually into our lives and well up within us onto eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Almighty God, for the pictures that you use in Scripture to help us understand your truth and your salvation. We thank you tonight for this picture of a river. And we know about rivers. We see them around us. We benefit from them. And, O oh Lord God, we thank you that you are the river of grace. We thank you that you're the source of all grace. You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that grace is established in our lives by the stream that flows out from you to us. Help us, Lord God, each day to know that and to believe that especially when we are in time of trouble or difficulty. Help us to know that God is in the midst of her, and we shall not be moved. And you will help us right early in the day. Help us in the midst of trouble as Christians, wherever that is that we experience that trouble, to know that because we 
have a tributary of grace that goes back to you, we can be still and know that you are God and you will be exalted in our lives and you will be exalted in the earth. Help us to rejoice in this, in you and in your salvation and help us, Lord God, to always abide in the city of God because it is by doing that that we keep fresh supplies of your grace flowing into our lives. We pray for those who are not Christians that we have close contact with, that we speak to, work with, live among, witness to and open our lives to that they might come to know that the only place in which they will discover joy that lasts, that satisfies, is in the river, in God, and in his church. In Jesus' name. Amen.